So most of you know that we're doing this study for the next six weeks from now until, which is only five weeks now, now until spring break, thanks be to God. Um, we're doing this study on how to know the will of God. And some of you may have already been in your small groups and we're using the book, All the Places to Go, How Will You Know by John Ortberg. Um, you may have read the book, you may have not read the book because the study requires no homework, as all of the studies that we do require no homework. But it's, it's a way to immerse ourselves into this question that you never outgrow. You never outgrow this question. What is God doing in my life? How do I pay attention? How can I be obedient? How do I discern his will? What's my next step? You never outgrow those questions. And so what we want to do is give our community the skill set to address those questions, to answer them, to pay attention to them, so we can take that with us as we go wherever it is that God calls us to go. Now, as we were planning this sermon series, uh, we realized that a few summers ago for Passport, I had preached a sermon on how to discern the will of God, and we thought, you know what, that's not a bad one to bring back. So there may be some of you who, as I'm preaching, you're like, I, I think I've heard this before. You may be right. And there may be a couple of you from a Christian high school where I may have used this as a chapel talk, and I may be preaching, and you may go, I think I heard this before. You may be right. But I'll also say that when we talked to a few people, it took them a while for them to remember the sermon, which is also very good for my ego. So, uh, just so you know. So all that being said, I invite you to turn to Ephesians 1, found on page 949. The black books are the Bibles in front of you. Take a look for the black books. Page 949. Ephesians 1, I'll be reading verses 3 through 14, and you may find it helpful to keep the Bible open after I've read the text. This is what Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance to our redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. How 
do you know the will of God? How do you know the will of God? Here's the question we need to ask before we ask that question. Why do we want to know? Why do you want to know the will of God? I think when it comes to reasons for why we want to know the will of God, they generally kind of center down on two. One is we don't really want to choose. If I've got the choice between one college and another college, I would really like it if God would just send me a letter that would tell me which college, Calvin, to go to. Because <laughs> then I can't be held accountable of my choice. Because if I choose and I end up at a college that I don't like, then I'll feel really bad about myself. But if, if I say, well, God sent me here, then if I choose a college and I don't like it, I get to blame God. Or if I date somebody and end up marrying that person because I'm pretty sure that this is the will of God and he told me to do it and this is just my thing that I have to do, when the bumpy parts come in the marriage, and they will come, I don't have to take responsibility for that. I can just say, God did it. He stuck me with you. P.S., I've also heard people blame God for the breakup. God told me I shouldn't date you anymore. Can I just say that is crap? <laughs> Don't ever use that. After spring break, we'll be doing a series on relationships of different kind. We'll come back to that then. But just so you know, don't say that to people. God told me to break up with you. That's horrible. You made the choice to break up with her. Own it. All right, rant over. <laughs> the other reason why we often want to know God's will is because we're pretty sure that if we know God's will and we do God's will just exactly as he wants us to, we can guarantee ourselves a happy life. Right? If I know God's will and I do God's will, well, then it's going to turn out fine for me. So if I can just figure out what that is, I can guarantee that I will date the right person and then marry the right person. That I will choose the right major and then get in the right internship and then choose the right job or graduate school and I will have a happy life. If I can just figure out what God's will is, my life is going to be grand. I'm sorry that's not the case. The next few weeks, we'll be looking at Bible characters, brothers and sisters of ours, who knew the will of God. Sometimes they did it, sometimes they didn't, but they didn't have great lives. Show me somebody in the Bible who always did God's will and had a fantastic life. I don't think they're there. Knowing the will of God and doing the will of God does not guarantee you a happy life. Now you're like, I'm sorry, why are we even here? Why are we doing this whole series on this? I'm so depressed now. Here's why. Come back to Ephesians 1 with me. Look at the end of verse 8. With all wisdom and insight, God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Ta-da! He's already made known to you the mystery of the will. He has already made known to you the mystery of his will. How? 
according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's God's will. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that, this is the purpose, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. That's God's will for your life. So that you will live for the praise of his glory. That's what he wants from you. What if knowing God's will was less about doing the right thing to guarantee a happy life and more about becoming the person and the people that he wants us to be so that his glory extends over all the earth? What if? Because I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Finding out the will of God isn't necessarily about making a right choice in a particular situation. It's about becoming the right kind of person so that when those choices come into your life, you already have a system and a network and a foundation by which you can make those choices for God's glory. So tonight, we're going to talk about three things that each of us can have in our lives, that we can build into our lives so that we can be the kind of people who live for the praise of God's glory. So we can be those kinds of people. Are you interested? All right. First one. John, show us what the first one is. Word. Not like word. Like <laughs> scripture. All right? Like the word. Okay? The word. Scripture. If you want to know what God's will is, you need to be in the Word. Now, in this season of Lent, some of us have developed new habits. Maybe for you, you're reading Psalm 51 every day for all of Lent. Or you're memorizing Psalm 139. Or some of you are just reading through a gospel every night. The danger is, we read scripture sometimes and we think, I have to get something out of it right now, in this particular moment. And if I'm not getting something out of it every night, then I get a little tired of it and I stop doing it. But we read scripture so that our ears can be tuned to the voice of God. So that we can recognize when stuff comes at us, is this of God or not of God? The more time I spend getting to know God, who he is, how he acts, how he speaks, what he sounds like, how he interacts with other people, with nations, what his motivation is, what his goal is, the more I can get tuned into God's will through his word, the more I can recognize it when it comes at me in other places. So this week I had a friend who contacted me early in the week and she said, hey, I'm going to use you for a reference for a new job. And I said, hey, that's great, that's fine, perfectly fine. So a few days later I get this email that says it's from my friend, but it starts out like this. Dear Dr. Holst, I'm so very grateful that you have agreed to complete this recommendation for me. And I thought, that is not for my friend. <laughs> it was the form letter that the business uses to get the recommendations, right? They send you the link, you fill out the things. But I knew from dear Dr. Holst that this was not my friend. Because my friend would have been like, hey, Mayor, 
here's the link. Fill it out for me, and next time we go out, the soy chai latte is on me. <laughs> that was my friend. And because I know my friend's voice, when I got this email that was very formal and structured, I knew it wasn't from her, because I know her voice. We read scripture, we immerse ourselves in it, because we want to know God's voice. We want to know how he sounds. We want to know how he moves. We want to know who he is. Foundation. John, why don't you take just a step forward there. Now, Anna, are you second? Excellent. Show it to the people. Everybody sees it. Great. Good. You good? The second thing is spirit. Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, some of you come from Pentecostal or charismatic traditions, and you're like, yeah, this is my business. This is what I do. Let's go, team. And some of you are like, I really am uncomfortable when people start talking about talking in tongues. I'm really uncomfortable when people start talking about things like, well, the Spirit told me that I needed to. Really uncomfortable with that. So here are a couple things to remember. The Spirit will never tell us to do anything that contradicts the Word. All right? Will never tell us to contradict anything in the word. These things go together. The other thing is that the spirit longs for the fruit of the spirit to be born in our lives. So the spirit will ask us and prompt us and nudge us to do things that produce the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if the Spirit is prompting you to do something that's going to result in one of those things, and it's not in contradiction to the Word, you know you've got something good. So let me tell you also that sometimes the Spirit will prompt you to do something and you'll have no idea why. You'll be like, I, I don't really get this, but I'm going to do it. To illustrate, my friend Elizabeth a few years ago, was in the Honey Ham store on the Saturday before Easter. Do you know the busiest day in the Honey Ham store? It's the Saturday before Easter, okay? But she's in the Honey Ham store because her brother, who's coming with his family for dinner the next day, loves him some Honey Ham. So she's doing it for family. So she's in the long line at the Honey Ham store. She pays too much for the Honey Ham. She's walking out of the Honey Ham store and she hears very clearly, you need to buy a ham for Ron. And she was like, I need to buy a ham for Ron? Ron's a guy who worked at her church. To the best of her knowledge, Ron was fine. So she's like, well, I'm going to go to Costco anyway. I will get Ron a ham at Costco. Second prompting. Did I not just send you to Honey Ham? She's like, I can't believe I gotta go back in the line and pay this much for a ham. I just, I don't even know what it's going. So she goes back in line. She buys another big ham for too much money, gets in her car, drives to her church, walks into Ron's office. Ron's not there. She says to his colleagues, okay, I got this ham. And it's for Ron. So when he comes back, tell him Elizabeth was here and she brought him a ham. She goes on to Costco, she runs her errand, she gets a call later from Ron. He's laughing on the phone. He says, you will never believe this. My wife, this afternoon, 
was in the checkout with all of our Easter dinner stuff, and they have a big family, they have a lean budget. She gets to the checkout and she realizes she does not have enough money for the ham. He says, I walk into my office after just getting off the phone with her, and there's a ham in my office. (laughs) And they figured out that at the moment that his wife was standing in the checkout, embarrassed because she did not have enough money, Elizabeth was in the line second time at the honey ham store. Isn't that just like God? She's over here, she's like, how does buy a ham have anything to do with the gospel? It's not even kosher. But the Holy Spirit wanted to do something for her and for Ron, and now every Easter, from generation to generation, they've got this story about how God provides not a Meyer ham, not a Costco ham, but a honey ham for his people. So there are going to be times when the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you, and he's going to say, you should go sit down and have coffee with that person. And the first instinct you have is, really want to do that. I don't know that person. That would be weird. They won't really like that. Or you may have, you're in line, you're checking out at the Johnny's, and then you hear the Spirit say, you got to pay for the person behind you in line. And you're going to be like, really? Because, okay, I hope they didn't get like two packages of the sushi. Or you may just have prompts. You may just have somebody who's on your heart all day, and you just think, I just need to pray for this person. I just need to pray for them. I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. And maybe later that day, you send them an email or a Facebook message or an actual snail mail written note, and you let them know, hey, you were on my heart today, and I was praying for you. Let me tell you something. Every time the Holy Spirit asks you to do one of these things, it's going to feel a little weird. It's going to feel like a risk because we are people who want to know the whole story. Now, if the Holy Spirit had said to my friend Elizabeth, Elizabeth, you're going to get a hand for Ron because his wife right now is at the grocery store. She can't pay for a ham. It's going to be a great surprise. We're going to do this together. You and me, let's go get a ham. (laughs) Elizabeth would have been like, okay. But then this whole move toward trust, toward stepping out in faith, toward leaning into God when I can't lean into my own rationality, would have been gone. So the Holy Spirit is going to ask you to do some fun, silly, wonderful things, and maybe you'll know the story. Maybe somebody will call you later and say, you'll never believe, and maybe not. Our job, when the Spirit prompts us, our job is to be faithful. Our job is to be obedient. And if it's an action that is not in contrary to the word, and if it's an action that's either going to bring in you or in someone else love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, go for it. Let's be that kind of crazy around here, okay? So if, if someone says to you, I was going to meet you for lunch, but I'm pretty sure we need to sit with that person because the Holy Spirit kind of is prompting me, then you go, Okay, and you just go in. You just go all in. You're at Meyer. you're doing your thing. One of you senses, we need to get brownie mix. 
It's not on our list. We need to get brownie mix, I just know. We just need to get brownie mix for some reason. You get the brownie mix, okay? It's like $1.29, you can do it. Just go, just lean in. Because if we get really good at responding to the prompts of the Spirit when it's things like, buy a ham, get the brownie mix, go sit with that person, when it comes to a choice between the University of Michigan or the University of Virginia, we're going to be like, I, got, I know how to do this. Because I've been obedient to the Spirit now for several months, several years. And when other things come in, I'm able to do it because I'm leaning into the Word and I'm listening to the Spirit. And then there's one other great third thing. Brendan, you're over here. It's like, he's my guy. Thanks for not falling. <laughs> community. All right? Now, community is a word we throw around a lot here at Calvary. I've got community. Our dorm has community. My floor has community. My lunch table has community. Everybody's got community. This is a very particular, intentional kind of community. These are the wise people in your life. You don't need 17 of them. You maybe need two maybe four. But these are people who are deeply invested in the Word, they know the Word, they are attentive to the Spirit, they love Jesus, and they love you. That's your community. And you remember when you were little and you um, had play dates with people? Like your mom would be like, hey, you're having a play date with Jason. You'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you'd be thinking, I hope he got the latest video game. Right? Does he have the next level? Right? You, you'd make these play dates. If you're going to have Christian community, it needs to be intentional. You need to make pray dates and play dates and food dates and date dates. All right? You have to be intentional about building this kind of community that can help you out when the time comes to make decisions. You want people who know the voice of God, who know what that sounds like, who have been obedient to the Holy Spirit, and who love you like crazy. So for several years, every other Thursday morning at 7 o'clock, I gather with a group of people. We call ourselves the D group. D stands for discernment. And now we're in three different states, so we Skype in, and it's different time zones, but we're all committed. And we say to each other, What's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? And somebody may say, I've been asked to write a book chapter. Here are the details. I don't really know if I should do it or not. We think about that. We pray about that. I've been invited to speak or preach or teach at this event. I need some wisdom here. And so we all have each other's calendars. We all understand what's happening in each other's lives. And we have the ability to help each other say yes and no to the opportunities that are coming in. Because we, are, we try to all be immersed in the Word, we try to listen to the Spirit, and we love each other, and we love Jesus. And we're intentional. When my alarm goes off on Thursday mornings, when I know that I have D group, there's still this moment of like, oh, it's early. And then I think, you know what, my friends who are in Chicago, it's 5 o'clock for them, and they're getting up. I can get them up. It's intentional. It's a commitment. You do it. Because you want the flourishing for your brothers and sisters and yourself. That's community. Word, spirit, community. The last little piece of the puzzle, okay, 
is you. All right? John, step forward just a little bit. Anna, a little bit. This is the triangle of discernment. All right? You need to live in the triangle of discernment. This is where you live. This is your resting spot. This is your fuel station. This is your joy zone. Pick a label. This is it. This is where you want to be all the time. Now, go with me. There are going to be people and events and things that try to pull you out of the zone all the time. You don't have time to meet with your community. You don't have time to read scripture. You don't know what the Spirit's saying. You're not paying attention to things. And this is when people say, I don't know what God's doing in my life. I don't know how to listen to him. And if you're out here, that's a little bit like getting ticked at your friend because they don't return your calls, but your phone is on silence and it's shoved in your sock drawer. (laughs) If you want to know what God is up to in your life, you have to live. Don't fall. You can turn around. You can turn around. It's okay. You want to live in the triangle of discernment. The next few weeks, as we look at these Bible characters, when they're here, they do okay. When they get pulled out, not so much okay. And we're going to look at what are the things that pull them out and how does God draw them back in and what is he trying to do in and through them. So name the three things. What is this? Yes, this is where you live, the zone of discernment. All right, let's thank our friends. You guys can sit down. God does not want to give you a happy life. God wants to give you a life that is full and rich and lived for his glory. His will isn't quite that mysterious. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. How we apply that will can get tricky. How we interpret it, how we move through it, that's where we need our zone. That's where we need our trial. That's where we need our people Because God has a great plan for your life to bring him glory. Not to bring you so much glory sometimes, but to bring him glory. A few years ago, a pastor friend of mine did a series on the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the first sermon, he gave out paper that had this phrase on it. Get mine actually. Lord, help me to listen for and obey the promptings of your spirit today. This is mine. You can tell it's a little worn, right? It's because it sits over my bathroom sink. So every time there's a splash and I brush my teeth or anything, like it just sits right there. And so on, on good days, I pay attention to it. And I think, I want to listen for and then obey the promptings of the Spirit today. I want to be rooted in that. I want to be attentive to that. If God tells me to buy a ham, I'm buying a ham. That's who I want to be today. 
And because this was a gift in my life that I've kept, we've made um, smaller ones for you to take, and I'm going to ask you guys to hand them out. So we're going to hand them out, and then as soon as you all have them, I'm going to close with prayer, and then we're going to save this as part of our prayer together. All right? So they're, they're all the same, just different colors, same words on every one. Just take a minute, pass those out. You can play if you'd like, Kendra. Thanks. There are some extra, so um, at the close of worship, if you want to come up and get more and, like, you know, wallpaper your bathroom mirror with them, that's <laughs> perfectly understandable. So I'll start the prayer, and then we'll, um, I'll invite you to say. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you praise and thanks, for your desire for us is a rich life lived in praise of your glory. Thank you for revealing your will to us through Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has shown us how to live a life of discipline and rest and service and laughter and healing and joy, a life that moves people from death to life. Help us to do that. Help us to lean into your word, to be obedient to your spirit, to be intentional about community. Help us to live in the zone of discernment. And Lord, now here as we pray together, Lord, help me to listen for and obey the promptings of your spirit today. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. <clears throat>